It is just two more weeks before we get to be the best neighbors ever. Have you got your Halloween groove on? I hope so. Uh, people are going to be coming by our houses expecting to find something, and we are having the nerve to plan that they're going to find even more than they're looking for. Isn't that what we're doing? Uh, that's what being the best neighbor is all about. It's already assumed on Halloween that they're going to be looking for something. And it might be that they come looking for candy as kids. It might be that as parents they're coming to look for a fun day, a fun event for their kids. Yet none of that experience is going to satisfy the real need that all of them and all of us have for something greater in our lives. And that is to know and to connect with the one who created us. Some of us might feel intimidated about being the best neighbor ever, and if that is you, I want you to look with me at a story this morning where people come looking for something, and what they find turns out to be more than what they expected. We're in Luke chapter 19, so if you would please take up your Bible or that thing, that device on which you find the Bible and we're going to look at this story together, and I, I just need to read it with you this morning. So Luke chapter 19, let's go in verse 1. We're going to read through this. We're going to talk about an important event that really connects with what we were speaking about last week, and I hope will prepare us to be some more the best neighbors ever. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, for since he also is the son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The town is Jericho. It is that city, remember, that little city, really, that Israel had destroyed, though well fortified, where Rahab lived, where God had the Israelites march around for seven days and then yell, and then the defensive walls collapsed. And yes, archaeology has discovered the site of ancient Jericho. It may be the oldest known city located on earth. 23 layers of ancient civilizations have been uncovered at that site. Sounds like your teenager's bedroom. Last Sunday, we looked at a story at Luke chapter 10 
that Jesus told about a man who traveled on the road, remember, between Jerusalem and Jericho. There's a picture of that road today, what it looks like. That's the ancient uh, place that's being unearthed today. That's what it looks like from the air. And then there's a, a picture of the road as well. Luke chapter 19, Jesus is on his way up to Jerusalem from Jericho. He's passing through. And Luke records for us how Jesus finds himself there in Jericho, surrounded by a crowd of people. People who are looking for something. In fact, we're going to see in this story today that everyone in this story is looking for something. And I would be willing to bet the same thing is true of everyone here this morning. Something brought you here this morning. You're online this morning for some reason. You are looking for something. And so we're going to look at this familiar story. We're going to ask in a very grammatically incorrect fashion with the preposition at the end of the sentence, what's everyone looking for? And I hope to answer that three times, and then we'll have something to walk out of here with, all right? First of all, there's this crowd that surrounds Jesus. What's the crowd looking for? crowd of people surrounding him as he walks. Was there just nothing better to do in Jericho that day? Well, I can see that they're looking for one thing, Jesus, sort of. There are usually crowds around Jesus during his ministry. In fact, several times it is a struggle just for Jesus and the 12 to get away from the crowd so that they can get some rest or eat. This scene here in Luke is later in Jesus' ministry. The people by this time, even in Jericho, have heard something about Jesus enough that when they hear he's passing through, they come out to see him. Maybe it was to watch him to do a miracle. Maybe it was to hear him teach. Maybe they had heard about that. Maybe it was for a free lunch because they had heard about how he fed the multitudes up north. On more than one occasion, Jesus said some things to crowds like this to thin the crowd. And he wasn't just trying to get rid of people, but his words had a definite way of separating the people who were sincere from the people who were just thrill seekers. Words that confronted people who said things like, oh Jesus, I'll follow you, but... Words like... No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you repent, you too will perish. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Words like, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross. Follow me. From the way that this story shakes down, I am guessing that this crowd was looking for Jesus, sort of. And maybe that's you this morning. Only you can say for sure if that's you, if you are looking for Jesus, sort of. Maybe the more basic thing this crowd was looking for is, and here's this word again, justification. Remember last Sunday there was a man who asked a question of Jesus? And it says then, but because he wanted to justify himself, 
He asked another question. I think most of us are being interested, are, are interested in being justified somehow. When you go to the doctor, are you looking for someone to really tell you what's wrong about you and what needs to be fixed? Or are you looking for someone who will hopefully ignore the symptoms and tell you there's no problem? What are you going in with? Many of the people who followed Jesus around were kind of like that. They were seeking justification, just like the rich young ruler. Luke chapter 18, verse 18, he comes to Jesus. He asks this question that so many people brought. Good teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? A.K.A., what do I need to do to be justified? And just before this story that we're looking at in chapter 19, Jesus tells the story about people who are seeking to be justified. And the point of it is to show the difference between people who are really seeking his help and people who are just looking to feel okay about themselves without his help. People who are looking for Jesus, sort of. Flip back in your Bible or your device to chapter 18, verse 10. Actually, verse 9, it says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, that is, justified, and treated others with contempt. Verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, <coughs> God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Justification. We need this. We want this in our lives. Deep down, we know that we need it. How are we going to find it? How are we going to do this and be able to live with ourselves. How can you face that person in the mirror in the morning, tomorrow morning, especially when the mirror is filled with reminders that you're not even close to perfect where it counts? I suppose in the crowd that day there was a mix of what people were seeking. Hopefully some of them began to see at least that the only way to be truly justified is by Jesus Christ. And one thing the crowd wasn't seeking, I know this, one thing the crowd wasn't seeking was how to help short, despicable tax guys. Speaking of short, despicable, outcast tax guys, what's Zacchaeus looking for? Here's Zacchaeus, he shows up, he's looking for Jesus, it says it right there, he was seeking to see who Jesus was. And I'm sure Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus because of what he did. When a rich man is willing, willing to humble himself enough that he would run ahead, climb a tree, just to get a look at Jesus, you can be pretty sure he at least wants to see Jesus, right? 
That's fair with this text. Look at the story, though, and then think with me about the other obstacles that Zacchaeus had to overcome just to see Jesus. Yeah, he was short. He had to climb a tree and all that, but there is a whole lot more between him and Jesus from the beginning. First of all, he's a sinner. There, I said it. He's a sinner. And not just any sinner, he is a tax collector. Jesus made a tax collector named Matthew, one of his closest followers. We don't often think about the significance of that. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, not just any tax collector. It says he was a chief tax collector. Your translation might have the word publican. That's not the opposite of a Democrat. A publican. A tax collector was someone who was the highest bidder, who bought the right to become so. And then he collected tolls on imports and exports and on sales that were made in his area. Well, this area was Jericho, major trade center, lots of things passed through there. And Zacchaeus, being a chief tax collector, hired a lot of people under him. He probably did a very big business. Here's some really insightful things. It seems like everybody hated tax collectors. Let's face it, everybody hates taxes. It's frustrating just to go through the whole process. And on top of this, the Jews already hated the Romans who were excising the taxes on them. In fact, many of them considered it a disloyalty to God to pay their taxes. So if someone like Zacchaeus was a Jew and he got a job taking money from his fellow countrymen, that also made him a traitor, turncoat. And the laws were written up in a way that collectors basically got away with as much money as they could. We have another word for that. It's called extortion. When we read in the New Testament about tax collectors, they are grouped with pagans, sinners, prostitutes, drunkards, and gluttons. That was an obstacle. That's Zacchaeus. His community would have hated him. He was definitely not the kind of person that you would expect hanging around with the, the theologians and teachers of his day. And on top of that, Zacchaeus also appears to have had some kind of understanding that he wasn't living the way that he was supposed to. That's a hindrance. Here's a second hindrance. He was rich. You know, it's in this very chapter, just before this, that Jesus says, verse 24, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go to the, through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the Bible warns about the danger of being wealthy. And some of you are going, yeah, I know. Whew, boy, am I glad I'm safe. But remember, if you used running water this morning, you're living better than over half of the world just because of that. Stuff makes it hard to be close to God. The bigger your list of I gots, the smaller is your list of reasons that you need God. You know, I gots. I got a car. I got a phone. I got a good pension plan. I got a credit card. Who needs God? I got. Zacchaeus had I gots. 
He was rich. Most likely he got that by his work as chief tax collector, and that stood between him and depending on God. He realized it. And now after spending some time with Jesus, by the way, you notice the way the story doesn't say how much time passed here? I looked at this again and again trying to figure that out. How long was Zacchaeus with Jesus before some of these changes took place? It's short, no pun intended. He needed to do two things. He saw that. He said, I'm going to give away half of what I've got, and I'm going to make restitution to the people who I have cheated. Times four. Zacchaeus was going to experience a sudden change in his lifestyle when he started to do these things, but he recognized after spending some time with Jesus, that's what he needed to do because his wealth was a hindrance. How much of your stuff stands between you and your dependence on God? There is a passage in Proverbs that I think speaks so well, gives us the words that we ought to rightly speak to God. Chapter 30, verse 7, the writer says, Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Zacchaeus was wealthy. He had to get past the barrier to be able to be close to Jesus. And you may not this morning need to give away half of all that you own to the poor, or maybe you do. But I know this, that we all need to consider if the stuff that we have in our lives is in between us and God, if it's a barrier. It was a barrier for Zacchaeus. Here's the third thing he had to get past. That was the crowd. Did you see it? On account of the crowd, he could not, it says. Now, remember, these people all around him, many of them are Zacchaeus' customers. They know who he is. They deal with him all the time. And here in the mob is the one place that Zacchaeus' clout and wealth doesn't give him an advantage. This is the one place where they finally could put Zacchaeus in his place shut out and kept away from Jesus. And so imagine the barrage of elbows and shoving that he faces the moment that he tries to get to Jesus. Not going to do it. I was thinking about this. Let me just throw in a word for the younger two generations this morning. We've talked about those. Unless you're a parent with kids right now, you might not realize this very well. So if you're not a parent of children at home, please listen especially carefully to this. The crowd is working to shut out our kids from Jesus and to keep them away from him. And I don't mean they're shunning our kids. I mean that what's going on in the way of media and worldviews and lifestyles all around our kids is a very powerful effort to keep them from seeing Jesus. And it has changed since we were young. Our kids face a crowd daily by means of one little device that is working to keep them from Jesus. It doesn't care about them 
at all. What it cares about is their loyalty because that taps into their money, which means power. And there is no room in life for life lived in Jesus in that mix. Some of them, some of those younger generations, are not able to see Jesus today because of the crowd. So what are you doing for them? Some of you whose child-raising years are over need to be reminded there is a next generation of believers who are getting shoved around in the world, and they need people of wisdom and people of maturity to care about them and help them with the crowd. Do you hear me? I'm speaking to us of the older generations now. Rather than just wonder what on earth is wrong with those kids, you need to get more into their lives and see just what's wrong with the world that they're growing up in. Think back to the older people who invested themselves into you when you were young and now do your part as a return and put it into the lives of those young people who are being shoved around and not allowed to see Jesus. The crowd was a hindrance. Fourth, his height. (laughs) Zacchaeus was a wee little man. He was short. It was nothing that he did, all right? He was just given short jeans. He had to wear short jeans. He was short. (laughs) He was short by the standards of his day, which probably means Zacchaeus was under five feet tall. Seriously, he was short. Which tells me, no matter who you are, some of the obstacles that you have to overcome to get to Jesus may be no fault of your own. And you could probably cite some of those right now. It doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. It simply means that it will take some effort on your part to get past those to get to Jesus. Zacchaeus could have looked at those, that hindrance and he could have said about it, well, I can't help it, I'm short, it's not my fault, and just for that I give up. I don't need to try to follow after Jesus. I got the short straw, and so I give up. But instead he went, it says, and found a tree, a tree that he didn't plant, a tree that for years had been growing somewhere along the roadside without his help or knowledge of it, lifting itself from the ground, and then he put his effort together with it and climbed it. Sycamore fig trees apparently are good climbing trees. And so the climb maybe was not too bad. But Zacchaeus used the work that tree had already been doing for years, combined it with his own efforts to see Jesus. It was an obstacle to be overcome, and he did it. I wonder what's your obstacle this morning. What stands between you and Jesus? Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus, and when he was serious about it, he didn't let all of those things stop him from doing what he needed to do. I wish this morning I could speak to some people who are sitting and listening to the message of God's Word and who are convinced that there are obstacles in their life that are stopping them, that are legitimate reasons for them not to pursue Jesus. We're looking at the story of a man today who overcame those. Here's something else that Zacchaeus was looking for, and that's change. 
Not the kind you find in a phone booth. Nothing here in the text tells us what Zacchaeus knew about Jesus before looking for him, and we don't have any reason to believe that he was going to get to do anything more than just see Jesus. And still Zacchaeus is there looking. He may not even realize what he needs. He does apparently realize that in his life there is something that needs to be different. Because this day he made a choice to do something different. I think there are a lot more people around us who are like, who are like Zacchaeus than we realize. And they don't know exactly what needs to happen in their lives, but they've got some kind of baggage that they need to deal with. And they know that maybe Jesus is a way that they can work change in their life. And so they're looking, and they're looking all over the place trying to find the thing in life that will make the difference. And I wonder how often God puts those kinds of people who are right there, people who are just looking for a word about Jesus, looking for a chance to have a glimpse of Jesus and find the help that they need. I wonder if some of those people are going to be showing up in our driveways and on our front porches in two weeks. Zacchaeus reminds us that there are people in our world who are searching, searching for change, many of them searching for Jesus because they know maybe they need him. So we've got a crowd of people who are looking for Jesus, sort of. We've got this short guy named Zacchaeus. He's looking for Jesus. There's a third person in this story looking for something. Jesus. Did you notice that? I want to give some thought to what Jesus was seeking. Because at the end of this story, verse 10, did you notice it? It says, that's what Jesus is doing. That's why he came, to seek and save the lost. Jesus is seeking lost people. Lost is such a simple word. It's kind of funny, isn't it? We use that word lost and what it means in some funny ways. Oh, we were going to be here on time, but my husband got lost and wouldn't ask directions. Ha <laughs> ha. There are a lot of funny stories about getting lost. Word that Luke uses here, the word for lost, needs a closer look. It's a word that means dead, ruined, destroyed. Very same word that Peter uses in 2 Peter 3 to describe what the flood did to the world. Lost. Jesus is, pe- is seeking people who are a lost cause, not people who are lost in Costco. People like Zacchaeus. In fact, we don't get to hear what the conversation over lunch sounded like that day when Jesus came to Zacchaeus' house. All we have here is Jesus traveling through Jericho, running across Zacchaeus, going to his house, and from there, there's a changed man. Jesus sought out Zacchaeus. Even though he was very busy himself, Jericho is just a passing through town on the way to Jerusalem. They were already on a busy schedule. Does this really fit into our plans, Jesus? 
Well, yes, when the plans are to seek and save the lost, it does. Just imagine for a moment if Jesus had had not done this, if Jesus had not fulfilled his plans, if he had not stayed on task. Imagine Jesus, his retirement years, nearer to the end of his life at the carpenter's shop where he is now just part-time. No cross, no ministry, no disciples, no salvation for the world. Imagine Jesus just, oh, early on taking the offers that the devil made to him, remember? The shortcut to an easier life and not carrying out his ministry. Can you see it? Someone in the shop, oh, Jesus, that's a great chair you've made there. Yeah, that's a nice chair, isn't it? I made a lot of nice chairs in my lifetime. It's hard to picture, isn't it? Because Jesus was focused on his purpose for being on earth. Jesus had a purpose, a mission. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for his final week when he stops here in Jericho. He came to seek and save the lost. Failure was not an option in his thinking. It simply had to happen. And if that meant a lot of travel on foot, so be it. If it meant patiently trying to teach bumbling disciples, okay. If it meant torture and death on a cross, let's go. And if it meant stopping off to change the life of a person who was seeking help along the way in Jericho, okay. People around Jesus, that crowd, didn't have room for Zacchaeus to get through to see him, and they certainly didn't have room for Jesus to go and visit the home of a tax collector. Verse 7, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone to be, in the, uh, to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Don't forget this, that the business of seeking and saving the lost can get messy. In fact, because Jesus associated with them, people said, back in Luke chapter 7, verse 34, he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus already had that reputation. But he never apologized for hanging around with the riffraff. They were lost. They needed to be saved. And Jesus didn't apologize for fulfilling his life's mission. Sometimes I think we get too caught up in the static that we might receive or the misunderstandings that might happen when it comes to trying to help people with messy lives meet Jesus. We get worried about being rejected. We panic about being thought of as extreme. We are afraid of seeking the lost. Thought about a movie. The Guardian, it's called. Some of you have probably seen that. I can always tell by, mm-hmm. It's about training for the Coast Guard in the Coast Guard Academy. And there's one guy in the story, Charlie Hodge, who has failed the program two times before. And there is a phase of the training that stopped him every time. It's an exercise in the pool, in the water, where they are practicing saving a drowning person who has panicked. 
And in the training, the instructor, unannounced, comes up behind this man in the water and grabs him and takes him under the water like a panicked person would do if they were drowning. And every time this has happened, Charlie would panic. And he's in danger of flunking out again for the third time because of the way he fails to handle helping a panicked, drowned person, drowning person, until finally he gets some encouragement and he gets some boldness and it helps him respond differently. I want you to just take a minute and watch how that plays out. Sorry, it's okay, I'm with the Side of the pool. Be easy, Chief. Guess it was a lucky punch. think we should nail lost people in the nose to calm them down so we can help them. But I do think that it's time, high time that we quit failing because we're timid or because we're afraid to go after lost people because they're scary or complicated. We need to be bold, don't we? Even rough at times to save the lost rather than allowing drowning people to take us under with them if we really believe that eternal souls are at stake. Jesus didn't let the barriers stop him. He went to Zacchaeus' house, and at some point you could almost see Zacchaeus standing up at a table, this is how I picture it, and digging a glass with his spoon. Ding, 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 ding. Hey, everyone, I have an announcement. Jesus, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. And for all of the people I've cheated through the years, I'm going to pay them back four times what I stole. 
Salvation had come to Zacchaeus' house. Why? Because the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. All right, you're here this morning. You're here online. You're here in person. You're here. So what are you seeking? And be honest here. Remember, it's possible to hang around with the Jesus crowd for the wrong reasons. You could be seeking Jesus, sort of. Some of you this morning simply need to be reminded from Jesus what really matters to him. Jesus is here seeking and save those who are lost. And I suppose there are some people who come visit churches who are seekers, and that's fine. But what every one of us should be, if we're going to be like Jesus, is we should be the seekers. We should be seeking and saving what was lost. Amen? That's what matters to Jesus. Some of you here this morning are like Zacchaeus and you're missing something. Maybe you're not even sure what it is that you're looking for. Maybe you think Jesus could help you. And no doubt there are some obstacles in your life that you think about and, and you're looking at. You know, boy, those are something I really need to overcome. But I'm, I'm determined I'm going to make it to Jesus because I want to see him. And if you need help with that this morning, if you need someone to help you pass those obstacles, uh, some people to come by your side and encourage you, maybe the obstacle is I just don't know enough. Maybe the obstacle is I've got some problems. I need someone to encourage me in life. Maybe the obstacle is I've got relationship issues I've got to deal with, things like that. This morning, don't let those obstacles keep you from getting to Jesus. He came to seek and save the lost. If you need to find him this morning, that's why Central Christian Church is here, to help you find Jesus Christ. We did services just a little bit different this morning. Here's something that's really different. We're not going to sing a song. But I want to have a word of prayer with you. And I, I want this just to be a time that if you need to begin your relationship with Jesus or you need to restore a relationship with Jesus that you've allowed to go weak, Whatever that is, I'm going to be right here at the front when we dismiss in a moment. And I'd like you to come down, please, and let's talk about your relationship with the Lord. You can begin that today. And then after prayer, uh, Brian Roeder is going to come up, talk to us just a little bit about being the best neighbor ever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of a man short in stature, faced with a lot of obstacles that he didn't allow to stop him from seeing Jesus. And I pray we would have such an attitude about ourselves. Father, help us please to see where we fit in that story. Forgive us for the times when we have just kind of hung around in the crowd, not really seeking you, trying to fit you into our plans instead of conforming our lives to what you've called us to be. Thank you for success stories like this that we can we can listen to the words of Jesus when he says salvation has come to this house. And Father, how much we want that for someone here today. And so I pray that your word will do its work. Affect change in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.